I have a feeling this is episode 199. Is that even possible we got to 199, Tim? Uh, as unwieldy as it may seem, yes, indeed. All right. Uh, that's the voice of uh, Coach Tim. I'm golf spiritual leader Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show. And this is another episode of Swing Thoughts. Welcome to it, nerds. Good to have you with us. As always, brought to you by TaylorMade Golf. Wow. Uh, we'll tell you, in a second, we'll explain why Coach Tim is on the phone, but let's just talk quickly. The beauty of golf is that you get to play so many types of shots. That's why you need a golf ball that performs and is made to perform on every one of them. The TaylorMade TP5 and TP5X, trusted by players like... Rory McElroy, Colin Morikawa, Ricky Fowler, Brooke Henderson, and more, and Coach Tim, and GSL. To learn more about the TP5 slash or 5X, or to schedule a fitting, check out TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Um, this isn't, we're not doing the show on uh, Tim's YouTube channel, so you can see Tim, though I guarantee you is wearing some fine clothing from Jonathan Wong Apparel. Is Tim wearing Beedratty? Is Tim wearing Garb, Royal Albatross, Fairway and Green? Zero restriction. I'm wearing a, a Beedratty uh, golf shirt, but I've also got a I've got a little another jacket on top because I'm old now and I'm cold no matter what the season it is. You know, it's ridiculous how cold I get. Uh, what are you wearing today, Timberly? Well, I am wearing a red uh, Guelph Griffin's golf polo made by a manufacturer we can't name. Okay. When we had an affiliation with long, long ago, but well, I'm, whoever that, whoever those people are, they're dead to me. <laughs> um, Coach Tim is on the phone. We're going to talk about our third sponsor in a second because uh, Tim and I have just completed a month of training with the NeuroPeak Pro, and today our coach. Samantha Adams, that's right, Sam Adams, is going to be with us in a second. But to give some context, Tim, why are you on the phone? Where are you? And have you been kidnapped, Tim? <laughs> uh, I have not been kidnapped. I okay. went willingly to, to Quebec, where I'm uh, doing my last rodeo as the head coach of the University of Guelph golf team. We're at the uh, Canadian University College uh, Golf Championships being held at Chateau Golf Bromont in Quebec. And I figured I've coached, I coached the team in the fall, so we'll take the guys to the finish line. Um, our, our men's team qualified for the national championship. And uh, our top women player, Jacqueline Giles, she actually won the Ontario championship. So... Uh, here I am, uh, just taking them to uh, to the national championship. Well, fantastic! Uh, and in La Belle Provence. Yeah, and so just for some context, uh, swing thought nerds, STDs. Uh, so Tim's going to hang in here for the first part of this interview. Later in the show, another friend of mine and a, a guy that's been on the program before is going to. I'm not, I, I was going to say fill in for Tim, but Tim's got stuff to do. So we're just going to have a conversation with a guy I really respect and love named Kent Osborne. And you've heard us talk about him. He's been on the show. He's the guy with the scratch attitude. And today, Kent, it's, it's interesting because he's a bit of a Bobby Jones aficionado. And there's all sorts of lessons to be learned from how Jones went about his business. Strangely enough, Tim, a lot of Jones's stuff was... You know, very interesting and very similar to the kind of things you and I talk about and the kind of guests that we have in the show that golf's a lot of it is about how your attitude really informs how you play. Another thing that's informing how we're playing is precision breathing from NeuroPeak Pro. Please say hello to coach Samantha Adams. Sammy, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you? Well, we're great, and um, I, I know Tim and I have talked. We've had such a great experience learning about precision breathing, and for people who hadn't been here when Andy uh, from your company, one of the uh, founders, was on, maybe explain what, what precision breathing is, how you work with athletes, and what it's like working with GSL, Golf Spiritual Leader, and Coach Tim. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so the NeuroPeak Pro 
company, we've uh, recently come out with our training belt called the Intel belt. Um, So again, it's the first of its kind real-time training device where we can take a look more at intentional breathing to unlock some more peak performance um, within sports. Um, Definitely golf is one of our higher um, attended sports in terms of breathing and precision breathing. Mm -hmm. Um, But really what we've come up with is again a trainer not a tracker it's kind of the coin that we phrased for us um tons of wearables giving us lots and lots of information what we've done with our app and breathing belt is how can we train to improve those metrics and information tim i'm I'm just pausing there for you yeah sure um What's the difference between a trainer and a tracker? I know there's been all kinds of things. There was um, health, uh, what is it, HeartMath has something out there that's been out there for a while. Uh, Muse is another app. So what's the difference between how you train or track? Yeah, great question. So a tracker is lots of different wearables um, in terms of, like, for instance, I've been wearing Whoop for a long time. You wear it constantly 24-7 for it to track your wellness activities. Mm -hmm. Um, And what it does is it gives you a readout every day of what some of those metrics are. For example, heart rate variability or HRV. So previously, um, there have been ways to train heart rate variability using that deep breathing or biofeedback practice. But what we've done with our training belt is allow you to see in real time how your breathing and kind of heart and lungs are responding to more intentional breathing practice, which all in all will improve that HRV metric. Well, and and maybe we just back up because not only does Samantha's company work with us, uh, but also PGA Tour players, Jordan Spieth, DeChambeau, uh, many others, Division I players, European Tour players. I I think I I screwed up a little bit because I sort of wanted to start with basically, Samantha, why is the way we breathe so important Mm -hmm. to how, and let's just talk golfers now, why is it so important to how golfers then can can improve their play? Because that's what everyone listening is thinking. All right, I'll get the belt. Tell me why. Yeah, totally. Um, so when we're practicing more intentional breathing, we're taking a little bit more control of our autonomic nervous system. Um, so our autonomic nervous system are, is responsible for things that kind of happen under the radar to us. We do not have to think about them. So breathing without bringing intention to it, our bodies just naturally do it. But the cool thing with that, too, is when we're bringing a little bit more attention to that, we can take a little bit more control over how we are responding to our environment. So golf, very, very mental sport. You're out there with you, your caddy, really kind of taking in shot by shot what's going on. Um, Stress is going to be a natural uh, byproduct of being out on the golf course. So if we can take any part of uh, dealing with that stress, it's going to be, okay, if I can take a couple of deeper breaths and recenter myself, kind of signal to my body, hey, we do not need to panic. We don't need to be in this sympathetic or kind of fight or flight mode right now. We're going to kind of center ourselves and bring us back to the moment to where you're over the ball, ready to hit it. Mm-hmm. Well, Sam, is it, is it your experience and the people with your company that what happens to golfers, whether they be amateurs or professionals, is that they, in essence, they, they lose touch with what's going on in the body and they may be breathing pretty shallowly and their heart accelerates and they get tense. And is it your position that when we start to breathe intentionally, really do some deep breathing, that everything just calms the, the heck down and thus yeah. we're able to, say, swing more smoothly, make better decisions, etc. Exactly. Yep. So it's kind of a get out of our head mentality. Um, realistically, you're doing everything that you need to off the course, whether it be practicing with your swing coach, things like that, your body knows what to do. But again, the mind can really get in the way in some of these instances. Um, A lot of times I'll talk with my clients about we need to make this more of an isolated incident. You're not going to have a whole bad hole or a bad round just because we had a shot that didn't go exactly as planned. So 
we can see a lot of those physical signs of stress and breathing can kind of help calm that down. So for instance, um, when we start to feel a little bit more of that sympathetic or fight or flight response, previously, more primitively, we were, you know, running from an animal, something like that. Every, our body's going to know what to do. Our blood goes to our core to protect itself. Um, again, we're going to kind of flee the situation. Right. But here, more modern, that's not really an issue that we're running into. At least, hopefully, we're not running into that issue. Um, so a lot of those physical signs of stress, again, like I mentioned, blood leaving the extremities going to our core. When that happens, our hands start to get a little bit sweaty. That can be detrimental to us when we're trying to grip that golf club. We can also show signs of stress in kind of our shoulders tensing up. Again, not staying loose in that swing is going to be a little bit more detrimental to us. But again, um, bringing us again back to the breathing is we want it to take with training on the back end, only a breath or two to kind of recenter yourself and kind of focus at the task at hand. You know, Sam and, and Tim, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, Tim and I have just completed the first month of doing this training pretty much regularly. I've, I've you know, I haven't done it every day, but five, uh, it's five times out of seven, I do it. And I've been thinking, Tim, and I want to get your thoughts on this about how breathing and maybe Sam as well, how the quality of your breath, how, the way you breathe, as Sam has explained to kind of mitigate the fight or flight sensation we feel when we have a difficult situation in golf but not only is it better for your physical awareness and uh it helps to uh i'm gonna i'm gonna get to a question here eventually i promise it helps to it helps the quality of your physical abilities but what i really think it does as well for me and maybe tim you could comment on this part is it informs the quality of your decisions because when you're not in yeah, I was going to say, because when you're not in a... Yes, I, I had still more question. When you're not in the fight-or-flight <laughs> state, you make better decisions in the moment which lead to better outcomes. Tim? Yeah, well, exactly. Think of any time in your life that you're you're stressed out about something, whether you're dealing with your kids or a work situation, and you just blurt out something, and, oh, my God, you re- regret that, or it's just... Because you're not operating from a position of what I call emotional neutrality, where you're able to really think something through and 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 as sort of not able to call upon your best self. Mm-hmm. You're not kind of all there because you're, as Samantha said, you're in this fight or flight mode. It's about survival, and the decisions you make when you're in that state are just quite obviously not going to be that good. Or they could be, they would tend to be one that you might regret later. Um, might take on too much risk. You might just hit a shot out of anger, which is never good. Right. <laughs> so when you're connecting to your breath, just everything calms down. Your heart rate drops. Your and you become more basically present to what's going what's going on. That's my experience. Well, and and you know, Sammy, when you, when you take in your environment in that moment, and whether you talk about being in the zone, but when we look back at what were what was going on for us in our best rounds of golf, or in even even in our best moments in life, you know, you could really trace it if you had the the intel belt on at that moment. You would trace it on to regular breathing, a certain number of breaths per minute in a very sort of organized, non-freaked-out state. And Sam, are, is that what you find the benefit from NeuroPeak for the athletes you work with? Definitely. Uh, the training's specifically kind of getting a little deeper into it. It really emphasizes the structure and the posture of breathing and then some of that muscle control and consistency. But what that does is it brings about the kind of desired response to better manage that stress, improve your recovery, and then overall leading to that improved performance. How long? Sam, um, Go ahead, Timmy. I just, I just wanted to say, like, um, we don't want to give the impression to people listening to this podcast that you know, to play good golf, you need to be like a Zen monk uh, in a state, you know, on your cushion, all no. zoned out with your eyes closed, perfectly, you know, equanimous, if you will. But so how does this relate to those moments in which, yeah, you're feeling a bit amped up, uh, you're in contention, you're on that, you know, final tee in, uh, in a tournament or, you know, add on top of that, you've just walked up 
you know, the 18th hole at Augusta, which is straight uphill and your heart's going like crazy. How does it benefit you in those moments? Yeah, definitely. So again, like you said, we're not trying to be Zen monks out there. The training is meant to be done kind of at home off the course so that this is a tool you can use when you are on the course to, okay, things are getting a little amped up. I need to really focus on what I'm doing. Let me take, you know, one or two of those deep breaths that I've learned how to do using my diaphragm to kind of bring me back into the moment, center myself and let my body do what it knows how to do. Um, But yeah, I would say definitely not trying to be the Zen monks out there. And there's definitely times when that stress can be a good thing. I know I've talked to both of you guys about kind of transitioning how we breathe throughout the whole, specifically when we're teeing off, we really want that to be the most powerful shot um, throughout the whole. So sometimes we want to not necessarily activate that fight or flight response, but use a little bit of that to our advantage. But then as we move through the hole, we're really trying to slow things down uh, because by the time we get to the green, it's a lot more delicate, you know, sure. strokes that we're going to be taking there. Um, Tim, let me just read something. It's interesting. Our next guest after Samantha, I mentioned is our friend Ken Osborne, and he has sent me a bunch of material from Bobby Jones on different aspects of, of golf. A lot of it, again, focused on things we talk about here. Samantha, this might be of interest to you. Here's a quote from Jones talking about someone noticing that he was taking more time over his putts. And, and what he said was, um, most of the time I take on the green today is not looking for the line. Although um, I found, he said he's talking about a tournament he was in. I found that I was walking rapidly up to a green and putting promptly while my breathing was still hurried and irregular. This is from the 1920s. He said, I I resolved never to make a putt in an important round while my breathing was hurried. So I'd look over the line of the putt and maybe even sit down to consider it. But my objective is to get my breathing and heart tranquilized. That's from Bobby Jones. He understood that if you can't control the way your body is working physiologically, whether it's an important tournament or not, you just won't be able to make good quality decisions, Tim, and then execute shots physically. Isn't that interesting that even he understood that? Exactly. And what, what's so cool about that is that we think everything important happened five minutes ago. Right. That's from over 100 years ago. Yes. But what, what I think I just want to add in is that when you're, when you're present to your breathing and what's happening, you're more present to your body in its entirety. You feel the tension that you might have. You might feel, A, that your, your, your heart is beating rather rapidly. And one of the things that just quickly that I've learned through this training is to be aware that, say, when I, I stand up quickly from from reading a putt, uh, <laughs> being of a certain age, yeah. <laughs> you know, my head might start... You get all woozy. So, Sam doesn't know what we're talking exactly. about. She's like, what? You don't, you don't, you don't want to fall down before you putt. That's not... <laughs> Poor um, Sam. Pa- Sam's but, like, oh, I love but, working um, with my two grandpas. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it, what, I, what I find with this training and this focus on breathing, it makes me more present to what's actually happening in my body and what I'm thinking about. And the more present I am to what's actually happening, then I can respond accordingly. And so I might have to take another second or two uh, to breathe uh, just to get my body to calm down a bit to step into a putt or a shot. And Samantha Adams, before we let you go, so what are some of the, again, we've talked about some of the reasons that NeuroPeak exists and why precision breathing is such a key. But I, again, a lot of people listening are like, okay, so I do this training. Um, we've been doing it for 30 days, and I can tell everyone, I've already noticed that there's a, you know what it is? It's a reminder to breathe, too. Mm-hmm. That's another thing that happens in golf, especially under competitive you know, situations where you'll realize, like you've been taking, as Tim said, shallow breaths. You haven't really given your brain uh, enough oxygen. What are some of the other benefits, Sam? Yeah. um, Lower stress levels, obviously, having a bit more control of those situations. Um, A lot lower kind of disease risk is associated with practicing some deep breathing. If you think about just, I mean, again, unmanaged stress is very detrimental for our bodies. It can lead to poor sleep, poor diet choices, you know, ultimately poor performance. So when we can manage some of those things a lot better, 
all of those things will continue to improve. Um, And again, kind of like Tim mentioned, the breathing, it's not new. What we've done is just made it a bit more available in terms of the information that you get from it um, within our app. And then also a bit more of a practical application with it. I know a lot of people have said that they've struggled with meditation or deep breathing in the past, but when we can kind of give them Hey, this is the, these are the marks we want you to hit with this. This is when, you know, it's going to be working. Um, and then, Hey, this is how you use it on the course, or this is how you use it out on the field. This is how you use it out on the court. It just makes it a lot more, I don't want to say available, but uh, no, it does. It makes yeah. it accessible and it gives, yeah. and, and, and maybe we can finish up Tim, like, uh, it's, I don't know if we've explained Tim uh, and Sam that it's kind of like you get to gamify your breathing and the training. Exactly. You you know we, you very quickly understand some of the key markers to hit. And I was telling Sam before you came on, Tim, that last week for just a second I got to one hundred percent consistency, and I was so excited I tried to screen cap it, and then I blew it completely. <laughs> But it is it is <laughs> fun how you terrible. try and try and do a little bit better every time and and the benefit is you you increase your awareness of your breathing, right Timmy? Yeah, absolutely. And and that is such a key piece. People are forever talking whether it be Jim Nance or Zinger or whatever on TV about the importance that always got to be present mm-hmm. here. And a lot of people don't know what that means. And basically it's being able to be in the moment as it's actually happening. You're not in the future. You're not in the past. And as we've all, as many of us who are interested in this work, how do we do that? We access that usually through our breathing, because when you're focused on your breathing, you are in the present moment. Your, your body is always in the present moment that that Star Trek uh, beam up Scotty stuff. They haven't managed to make that work yet. So when you connect with your breathing and you're right there with it, you're in the present moment. And there's all kinds of studies that show that there's massive benefits for that uh, in terms of performance, uh, just healthy living, dealing with stress. So what I find so cool about this neuropeak thing is it just sort of ticks off all kinds of boxes around how we can perform better and be more healthy just by being a bit more cognizant of our breathing. And even if it's only for like two seconds or so. No, very well said. And Sam, uh, for people who want to have more information and want to improve the quality of their breath, here's here's a little pearl jam for you. (laughs) No, that's not what I want. Is that... Isn't this song Breathe? Uh, you know that song? I, 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 sorry, I completely <laughs> screwed up. Breathe, this. Yeah, yeah that's, Breathe. That's, that's a different like Pearl Jam song. Of, uh, <laughs> oh, anyway, Sam, how do people get a hold of you? Fire the DJ. Yeah, um, they can obviously visit our website, neuropeakpro.com. Um, our app, uh, Neuropeak Pro in the App Store, is um, free to download. There are some initial pacer options that you can access and train with without the belt. Um, and then we also have some different coaching materials and videos in the app. Um, some of those initial ones are free and you can also purchase some more of those content packs, but yeah, absolutely. Check out our website or even download our app to start breathing. Okay. I found the right song. This is called just breathe. Uh, narrow peak pro introducing the Intel belt first of its kind, improve your performance through more intentional breathing. And, uh, Sam, always a pleasure. Uh, we need to book another coaching session. We'll do that. Uh, Tim, uh, hang on one second. Sam Adams, thanks very much. I hope that was okay. Did you have fun? I told you it was going to be easy. I told you, you no, know, that grandpa and grandpa weren't going to make this hard for you. No, it was great. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Are we the oldest athletes thanks, you're working coach. with? Are we the two oldest people you know? You know, we're 100. The oldest people I know, absolutely not. We're 100. <laughs> Sam, we're 127 years old between us. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Would you say working with us is delightful? I think it is. It is. It is. <laughs> All right, Sammy, take care. Thank you. All right. And uh, Sam's going to leave the uh, Zoom room, and I'm going to be uh, bringing in uh, Kent Osborne here in a second. So you're going to take off and go deal with uh, being a uh, university golf coach again for the last time? 
Yes, I am. Yes, this is my last rodeo. I'll, uh, it'll be. I'll miss working with these kids. It's, it's, sure. It's a reminder how wonderful uh, they are. These these university players. They're just sharp young people, uh, and it's just lovely to hang out with golf nerds. And and what I with them, I just feel like I'm one of them. And then every once in a while, I got to put my coach hat on and talk yeah. North Sure, yeah. you, you anyway, feel like. You feel um, like you're one of them until they make a reference to something on TikTok, and you're like, I don't know. Is that on the wireless? <laughs> exactly. Can you send me a telegram? <laughs> That's right. Will you telegram that to me later? All right, exactly. buddy. And, uh, or if you can't do that, do it in Morse code. <laughs> That's right. Just tap out something. Listen, man, have a great uh, time there with your kids and uh, enjoy your last hurrah. And uh, I'll welcome uh, Kent Osborne to finish out the last 20 minutes of this show today. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, partner? All right. See you. Cheers. Bye. All right. There you go. That's Coach Tim from uh, Quebec. And uh, listen, I don't want to put any pressure on you. It, 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 Tim's gone now. It's just you and me. You uh, and me, friend. Uh, <laughs> Okay. Are, are you in some church this morning? Where are you? I'm actually on my office. Uh, yeah, I have a little office in the back uh, back of my property, and uh, so that's where I'm hanging out this morning. I uh, mentioned to our listeners that you're going to be popping in today. Uh, Tim's uh, coaching, so he's uh, he was on the phone, and uh, our first guest is gone now. Um, Ken Osborne, uh, of course, I've mentioned many times that uh, our friendship is been a, a great benefit of doing this podcast and and i want to mention everyone tim uh kent's the guy the with the uh, scratch attitude was his uh his thing and then i'm, I'm trying to remember the name of the book because you sent me the book i read it and loved it but you've changed the name of the book yeah the golfer who developed the scratch attitude yeah, i like that there you go and just to give some people some context and by the way you're gonna love what happened earlier in the show before you came on um, because Tim uh, Kent uh, sent me a bunch of Bobby Jones quotes, and you'll hear Kent in, uh, when you listen back that one of them was so perfect for our as it tied into our first guest. But let's talk a little bit about you as a as a history uh, history of your game. You were sort of late to golf. You wanted to become a scratch player. Uh, you were an executive coach, uh, a, um, a thought leader. You worked with NHL teams, and then you sort of discovered golf later in life. Yeah, I started playing when I was 50 and, um, you know, went right down the rabbit hole, uh, really, uh, really learned to love it. It kind of coincided with me becoming semi-retired and then fully retirement, tired, so I had lots of time in my hands and, uh, you know, got into the game and uh, tried to use uh, some of the things that I've learned over the years, um, especially around, uh, you know, when I started playing, I noticed that... Uh, a lot of guys would get uh, very frustrated with themselves. They would get uh, they'd be disappointed if they didn't shoot a score that they that they wanted to shoot. And so um, I attempted to uh, take a different path. Well, the path you took, as we talked about the first time we had you on the show, I don't know what episode that was. By the way, you're on episode one ninety nine. Wow, that's crazy. Um, the 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 tack that you took was one that included the concept of gratitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I do two things to, uh, I mean, the scratch attitude for me is, is that you want to feel good after a good shot, feel great after a great shot and feel calm and unperturbed after a bad shot. That's the litmus test for me. And so how do you do that? Well, um, I have two practices that I do off the golf course. And the two practices are I, uh, I write my best shots down in a journal after a round. It takes me five minutes because there's not a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. But then, I, um, and then before a round, uh, there's a number of things that I'll, that I'll do. But one of the things that I often do is I'll ask myself, you know, when I shut the car off in the parking lot or whatever, I'll say, look, if this is your last round today, ever, how would you want to experience it? And what comes to mind is, well, I'd want to enjoy my best swings. I'd want to appreciate the environment. I'd want to be present. I wouldn't want to rush it. I'd want to take one shot at a time. I'd want to immerse myself in my targets. All that good stuff. So I do those things. I practice those things uh, on a regular basis. And, and, and I found that they've helped. 
they haven't uh, enabled me to qualify for the Champions Tour, but uh, they've certainly, you know, enabled me to extract, I think, more enjoyment out of my game. And, you know, you could possibly argue that it's also uh, helped my scores. Well, I mean, there's so much in there. And I've had the benefit of, you know, your friendship away from doing this show and, you know, thanks again. I, I, I do some med- I've been meditating for a long time, and, and Kent has supplied a golf meditation, as you can only imagine. Um, but let's get back to what you were saying, and I think that's very key for guys listening, men and women listening, about the next round they're going to play. If they could just put it in some context, because golf is the reason we're all here is because we find the game mysterious and aggravating and filled with all kinds of uh, emotions but that i that practice of gratitude prior to playing around is something we can all do just as you just as you're on as you're getting ready to play like why not focus on those things if it was your last round do you really want to get that aggravated over a bad shot or or an outcome that didn't go your way yeah well i i tend to think that for me, at least, the, the game has three. It's a three-dimensional game. It's it's physical, obviously, but it's mental and emotional. Mm-hmm. I, I see the emotional as part, as a subset of the mental game. I, I see it as a as a as its own distinct thing. And so, what I my perspective is that you can't you can't cultivate emotions on the golf course. You have to cultivate them off the golf course. Yes. The mental game, you know, the decisions that you make, you have a lot of expertise in the, in, the, in the decade process. You know, the decisions that you make, the kind of focus that you have, where your intention and awareness are at, all that cognitive pre-shot routine stuff, that's really important. And, or, or but, you know, no pre-shot routine or no decision-making process is going to take you out of negative emotions if you're, if you're anchored there. Mm-hmm. So from my perspective uh, or or my experience as a coach is that it takes feelings to change feelings. So if I want to have a different set of feelings on the golf course, if if I want to feel grateful and playful and joyful, then I need to cultivate those off the golf course. And it doesn't mean that I have to, you know, uh, be cross-legged in the woods for three hours a day. But if I can spend, you know, three or four minutes before a round and three to five minutes after a round, just jot down two or three of my best moments. It tends to, I think, cultivate positive emotions that you can more naturally bring forth in the middle of a round. And I know I totally agree in terms of cultivating positive or, or, or different emotions, because not everything is positive, but, uh, but cultivating that off the golf course definitely helps you while you're playing. I also think the language we use about ourselves as golfers really, you know, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this lately. You and I haven't talked much off the uh, show here, but I've been doing a lot of work around the idea of what you say is, is, is basically like if you say I suck or I'm a bad putter or this always happens or I hate slow rounds and all the things that people say, well, what your brain does is it finds evidence to support that. That's how the brain works. You know, you say, I always screw up in this hole. Well, your brain's like, okay, cool. Let, let me show you how that works. Conversely, if you, you know, look at the game as I've tried to metamorphosize into someone that doesn't freak out all the time, because I give the game context and what you're talking about. That's what it sounds like to me. You give mm. the experience some context and I'm going to tell a story after we toward the end of the of the time with us about I call I, I said early in the show I have a GSL moment I call it the anatomy of a nine because I was in a pretty important round a week ago and I made a high number but I was still able to put the day in context and I'll get back to this because I had the round in context before I played it. Mm. I like that word context. I mean, the context for me, primarily, I said, to, I, I said to a buddy of mine the other day, we were walking along, and I said, you know what? I'll tell you the fundamental truth of my golf. I have to pay or I don't get on the golf course. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Yeah. No, so, one's, I mean, no one's paying us to play. Keep it in perspective. I mean, I, I, do the, I do the LIV tour thing for, you know, 
a grand and a free flight over to London. <laughs> That's right. By the way, I should say on the day we're taping this, um, Wednesday, the 1st of June, and I didn't bring this up with O'Connor because we didn't have time, but today Dustin Johnson announced he's going to play in the first event and RBC, the first event coinciding, coinciding with the Canadian Open. Mm. And RBC sounds like they're dropping him. Yeah. We can talk. We can discuss that another time because I want to talk about, you know, so that's who Kent is. Scratch attitude. And again, for some context, uh, Kent got involved in golf and within a, a few years got down to scratch. But what when I and that's what first attracted me to your story. But as I've gotten to know you, it's the scratch attitude that I think is such an, a, a shareable item, let's call it. Mm-hmm. A shareable item for the average golfer because, you know, for someone as involved as me, it really did refocus my attention and I think a better place. And yeah, my golf seemed to, you know, last year was one of the best years I've ever played. And a lot of it was I did that meditation, you know, that you sent me many, many, many times. And a lot of it was about what I'd like to see happen. Again, giving your brain evidence. But a lot of it was... How grateful are you to play this game? You know, and it really made me understand that I'm really lucky. Yeah. Yeah, we are. We are. No doubt about it. Well, let's get into Bobby Jones. Now, what is your fascination with uh, Bobby? Because I, and by the way, I follow uh, Kent, like you should, at Scratch Attitude on Twitter. Puts out some great stuff every day, every other day or so. Um, Let's talk a little bit about your fascination with Jones, and then I'll, I'll sort of tie it into something that we had on earlier in the show. Well, I just started reading about about Jones, and, and to my mind, he was like, uh, um, I mean, obviously a great player and, you know, arguably on the Mount Rushmore of golf, uh, but just his, his insights into the game seemed to be, uh, you know, light years ahead of his time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I sent you some stuff uh, this morning. I mean, he's talking about if I can if I can read a couple of things that struck me. There's two two books for your listeners out there if you're interested. If you're, if you're that far down the rabbit hole, there's two books. Uh, one is called Down the Fairway. Uh, another is called Bobby Jones on Golf. Okay, you can get them on Amazon. And if you're if you're just looking for a a, a summer read, a longer summer read, that's uh, you know, that's about Jones. There's a book called The Grand Slam by Mark Frost. Right. And it's it's very good as well. But Jones, to me, was, I mean, he was like a, a, a bloody guru. I mean, he, he, he talks about, um, let, me, let me just read one here. The great fault in the average golfer's conception of his stroke is that he considers the shaft of a club a means of transmitting actual physical force to the ball, whereas it is in reality merely the means of imparting velocity to the club head. Yeah, I know. It's crazy, huh? We were all the better. Can we only realize that the length of a drive depends not upon the brute force applied, but upon the speed of the club head? It's a matter of velocity rather than physical effort. And I mean, everybody's knocking themselves out now with the, uh, you know, with the with the with the swing speed thing. Mm-hmm. Here's another one that, that I think is I, I think is brilliant. Uh, I've never believed in hanging over a shot until the last two years. Uh, I was as prompt in the putting green as with any other shot. Ken, let me just interrupt you there just quickly because we had an expert on breathing on before you. No, I was going to say, and I and I read that quote. Yeah, I read the. I said Kent sent me this, and and I read the part where he said, "I, I, my, my objective was to get my breathing and heart tranquilized so that I could be in a better state." Like yeah. I found that that blew my mind when I read that this morning. I was like, "Wow, that's crazy!" Because Jones said that a hundred years ago, and here we are today. Yeah, here we are today talking about the world of precision breathing. But he understood that. Yeah, how do you figure that? Like, where where did all that come from? Well, I mean, and if you read about the way, I think the guy was a bit of an avatar in the sense that, I mean, if you read about the, what people say about him, that he, you know, he, he, was, he was given 
all I mean, he was right up there in popularity with with uh, Babe Ruth. Oh, yeah. This guy had was the only guy, to my knowledge, that ever received two ticket trade parades in New York City. That's correct. He was a megastar and and never succumbed to any of the, you know, any of the temptations or egoic kind of thing. Like I, I read a guy one time said that he handled the best that life could give you as a young man with grace. And then he handled the worst that life could give you as an older man when he had that muscular disease. I yep. mean, he couldn't he couldn't move, was in constant pain. He handled that with grace. I think so what we, I, you know, he was a special guy. You you sent so much material, but one of the ones I wanted you to comment on because you mentioned decade, which we you know haven't mentioned as much on this show, but I will you know talk about a decade moment later. But but talk about that that whole paragraph. Maybe just summarize it. How here was Bobby Jones in the 1920s that understood the nature of scoring. And yeah. it's, it's the one under hashtag decade. I find yeah. that fascinating. Again, this was written in 1924. Yeah, so here's what Jones says. He says, saving the strokes, that was the answer for me. I don't play any better golf than I did five or six years ago. The pleasant things that have been written about my getting control of my temper with better play resulting are all bunk. (laughs) This man I ever did, missing a simple shot. I don't throw my club away now, that's all. I don't hit the shots any better, and I don't pitch nearly so well as I used to in the days before I broke through. But what I've managed to do, the little thing that's done the most to win those five major championships in four years, this is before the Grand Slam, you know, is simply to save that one little stroke around that used to get away from me because of carelessness or dumb play. Just pause there for a second. So here's a guy that recognized that even though he didn't think he was as skilled as he was, he won four majors in five years simply because he he came to understand, again, what Fossa says. It's easier not to do things than to do things. Uh, please continue. Yeah. yeah. Carelessness or dumb play. So then he says, there's scarcely one golfer of the so-called average class who could not benefit from an effort to school oneself in applying good sense, judgment, and a little intelligent thinking to his game. And this without reference to the mechanics of the swing. Isn't that interesting? Again, you know, Jones saying that for the average player, like we've been saying on this show, you will have, you know, the low-hanging fruit for your golf score isn't through a pathway uh, isn't yeah. the pathway through your golf swing? Yeah. Well, I was actually thinking, it's interesting that you say that, because I, I, I was thinking about um, uh, you yesterday. I was playing around at golf, and on the 18th hole, I hit a terrible duck hook off the tee, and I'm in the rough about 208 or 9 yards from the pin, and the rough's kind of heavy. Now, that, for me, would be, you know, if, if I hit a good, uh, for hybrid, I would be on the green from that from that yardage. But with this situation, I, one of your thoughts came to mind, and it was like, okay, what's what's it going to take for me to shoot the lowest score possible on this one? From this point, from this point, and I took a six hybrid out, which I thought, you know, and I can, and I hit it about thirty yards, 25, 30 yards short of the green. I managed to chip it up and make par. Now. If I had to miss the putt, fine, but worst case scenario, bogey. But if I had to taken a hack at that at that original shot that was in that heavy rough with that four hybrid, six, seven, eight could have been in play. Yeah. There's almost no chance. I mean, one out of a hundred would I have hit that solidly enough to get it under the green. Well, I think but it's that, I, yeah, I mean old, that would have been my old approach. I think two, three years ago, before I started focusing on the decade thing. And listening to you and everything, that would have that would have been my almost unconscious approach. Oh, I'm two oh nine out. That's a four hybrid. Well, I want you to hold that thought till we wrap up, Jones, because I'm going to have you stay with me once we finish off. And I'd like you to read because I had a situation like that a week ago in a big qualifier, and uh, I just want everyone to know that GSL took a giant dump in his pants for about fifteen minutes. But just finish off with I, I love the uh, the way the the last thing you said that uh, Grantland Rice and Herbert Warren Wynn said about Bobby oh, Jones. Oh, yeah. See if I can find that. Okay. This starts with the chief weakness. 
I love this. And, and yeah. what I'm going to just set it up by saying, when I read this, I thought, you know, that really sort of sums up why Bobby Jones and why a lot of greats were great is because, it, and it had nothing to do with his actual ability. It has to do with his attitude. Yeah. Well, Granlin Rice, who was like uh, one of the top, if not the top sports writer way back when, he said the chief weakness with Bobby is that he goes out of his way too much to encourage and cheer up his opponents when things are not breaking too well for them. Isn't that interesting? That, 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 that his only weakness, that he was a great guy to play with. Yeah. 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 And I mean, this is not... This is not, you know, out playing a men's night or trying to, uh, you know, trying to win a local tournament. This yeah. is the British Open and the U.S. Open, for God's sake. Yeah, and, imagine uh, that. Like, he, he had the grace under those circumstances to be graceful and grateful yeah. with his playing partner. Well, you see, you know, I wasn't into golf then, but you see, you know, on YouTube, tapes of Nicholas where, you know, he would... He would he would be congratulating the guy like he was happy for his best friend when he yeah. lost. Yeah, that's what I they mean, said about Nicholas. He was one of the because he came, he won eighteen majors, but he came second, I think nineteen times. Yeah. So nineteen times he got to congratulate the guy that beat him, and they say yeah. about Nicholas he was one of the greatest losers of all time. Yeah. Well, and the other quote from uh, Herbert Warren Wind, who was the guy who. Who who co-wrote uh, um, uh, Ben Hogan's yeah. Five Fundamental Lessons? So he said, perhaps it is best simply to say that just as there was a touch of poetry to his golf, so there was always a certain definite magic about the man himself. Yeah, interesting that we're still learning things from somebody who stopped playing at the age of, I think, thirty. Yeah. I mean, he talks about, we don't have time to go into the mall, but he, he talks about the idea of predestination, that he sometimes feels like it's to win these tournaments at his level is like it's it's almost written. It's almost mm-hmm. decided the tournament begins. Um, yeah, but I, I particularly love his thoughts about the club head. Yes. And and his thoughts about, you know, the, the comfort, it's maybe I finish with that one if I can find it here. When he talks about the, um, yeah, I have no quarrel with anyone for taking pains with a shot, nor for making certain that he's ready to play before he starts the swing. But most golfers lose sight of the fact that in the first position, it is ease and comfort to be sought. And that a strained or unnatural posture was never recommended by anyone. Mm-hmm. So can you like? And I, when I read that, I thought to myself, "Man, you know, that's that's the last thing that's in my awareness when I'm setting up over a ball." Is to is to you know, am I am I at ease? Am I comfortable? Am I comfortable? And if you think about it, I know from uh, you know from the work that I've done as a coach and, and both and my, my own experience. If you just if you take a moment, close your eyes, and just focus on you know, for example, the muscles in your in your in your jaw, you'll you'll start to realize, my God, I'm I'm, I'm carrying around this tension mm-hmm. almost all the time. I want to say because he goes on to say in the same paragraph, he said, if there's a a watchword or slogan that a golfer should always remember it is to avoid tension. His first position setup should be as natural and comfortable as he possibly can make it. He goes on to say, relaxed muscles can move quickly and easily. Taut muscles cannot. I mean, that was him. He understood that. Yeah. And so many yeah. of us are standing over a shot. Not only are we mentally a little bit unsettled, but we're physically not ready to hit it. But we feel oh, yeah. that the weird thing is I, I've had this discussion with uh, some of my decade devotees. You know, there's a group of guys I've been sort of working with. And I always say that to them. You know, when it's your turn, take your turn. And part of taking your turn is if you feel uncomfortable, the lie, the shot, the, you know, the club you've got in your hands, something doesn't feel right. But 99% of the time, 99% of us go ahead and swing. Yeah, and and again, back to Nicholas, as he said, in the ninety-five percent of what happens in your golf shot happens before you take the club back. 
again, hearkening back to Jones, who who he, I'm sure he was a huge admirer, that he learned from Jones that Nicholas never putted until he was ready. Yeah. That's why you'd see those film, the old films of Nicholas standing over a putt for what seemed like forever. But he said, I'm not going to make this stroke until I'm absolutely comfortable that it's the right thing to do. Yes. Not ready in the sense that I've got it all figured out and I, you know, like, and I'm going to make this, but, but I'm comfortable. Yes. That's, that's a, that was a, that was a revelation. And speaking of Nicholas, you know, like it, it makes me think of if you, if you go back, if you go on YouTube and, and you watch his 80, the back nine of his 86 win. So he hadn't won a major in years, right? Yeah. He's making this charge. The fans are going, they're going crazy. He gets to the 16th hole after making uh, making birdie or eagle. He's on his run, right? Right. Gets to the 16th hole, tees it up. And it, in that moment, he feels, oh, you know, something's just not quite right. And he bends down, picks the ball up. Then he stomps around a little bit to get the right footing, and he re-tees it. Yeah. I'm thinking to myself, can you imagine <laughs> and being that cool and comfortable and at ease to go you know what it's just and this is the augusta national augusta national tee box we're talking about we're not talking about a, a turtle <laughs> that's right or you can't you know? find a flat spot because the guy who set the tee markers doesn't play golf so he's got it on a down slope <laughs> yeah i mean like but that that to me is a is a perfect example of what you're talking about of that that these guys understood at some level that you know, it's just that ease, uh, first position. If you're not in an easy, comfortable position to make this shot, don't make it. You know, I would offer that uh, uh, just a high amount of golf shots that don't work out for whatever reason. And by the way, I want to mention, you know, I've started doing a lot more journaling this year than I've ever done. Post-round journaling. It, what a what a revelation! Uh, just just spitting stuff out on paper just somehow gets out of what I've found. I've, I'm carrying around it, carrying around golf less with me this year for some reason. Anyway, but um, but that idea of the idea that a lot of golf shots go awry, and if we're thinking about it after the round, I guarantee you a lot of things that maybe didn't work out you can trace back to not being comfortable at ease you know nicholas worked on his posture his ball position his grip he did that well into his professional career because he understood you know i was just i just offer this to golfers listening i guarantee you if you're right-handed you're aiming further right than you think you are if you're left-handed you're aiming further left than you think you do and if you're not curious intently curious about where your ball is going in terms of your aim you're missing out on a huge thing that contributes to your golf swing and then you start thinking well i can't swing a club but if you're not comfortable the ball's in the wrong position you're aimed incorrectly well it's not about your swing then and bobby jones understood that yeah well i was just thinking there that you know i've um, I know I've made, you know, a lot of bad swings when I was comfortable and tension swing, tension free, but you know, I, I I don't think I'm I've ever made a good swing when I was tense. Yeah, no, that's true. Well, that's why I was saying, you know, there's no none of this guarantees that you'll make a great swing, but it get it definitely gets you, you know, ups your opportunity, ups your chances. Um, once again, Ken Osborne, I follow him as you should at Scratch Attitude. And Ken's hanging in here today with me because Coach Tim is out with his kids. Uh, um, I'd like to finish up because uh, a lot of the listeners know I had a qualifier last week. And this next part is, um, I, I call it the anatomy of a nine. But I want to say that I had one of the things I took away from my last my it was a big tournament I wanted to qualify for it and I didn't but it was a great day and and why I thought of it as a great experience is because yeah I'm going to discuss why I made a nine but my my intention for the day back to what you were talking about is gratitude I understood that I was really lucky to be able to do this to to compete at this level and that 
I wasn't going to let what I shot that day define how much I enjoyed the experience. Because at my age, you know, I don't know how many years of being competitive in the game I'll have, but I know that, and I've played some tournaments recently, that my tournament experience can't only be tied to how well I do or what I shoot or I'm going to be a miserable person. Yeah. Um, Because I love tournament golf, as you know from being a buddy of mine. You know I get very excited about it. I want to do well in it. You know, I'd like to compete at a really high level, but I promise you, if I have nothing but poor results on the course in terms of score this year, I am not going to not enjoy the experience because you don't get that many chances. Yeah, yeah, I think that it's, to, to, to me, I certainly have more fun when I'm playing quote-unquote well than when I'm playing poorly. But it's not as if I, I have to play well to have fun or have yes. to play well myself. So as a, that if you can have that, I think, you know, groundwork or that cornerstone of, of gratitude there, then, um, you know, when it works out well, then it's, it's gravy. And when it doesn't work out well, Hey, it's golf. It is golf. And it's funny because uh, Mito Pereira, the kid that kind of had a rough finish to the PGA Championship, uh, one of his quotes I, I, I screen capped and I sent it to a few people. And it basically just said, so simply goes, you know, it's, it's golf. Sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes that's what golf is. That's what golf gives you. But he, yeah. he didn't look at his performance. I mean, last week, Harold Varner was 10 over for the last eight holes of the golf tournament. He'll go the rest of his life and never make triple, triple, double, double in a professional tournament again. But as Mino said, sometimes that's golf. So very quickly, I won't go. Listen, Swing Thought nerds, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. I'm in a qualifier. I've got four holes to go. I'm six over par for the round. I'm on a run of holes where I've gone uh, 9, 10, 11, 12, uh, 13, 14. I've just been kind of knocking down pins and playing really well. And, you know, I had a couple of early doubles that were just mistakes. And I get to the 15th hole and I make a nine. I made a nine for a a series of reasons, but that basically goes back to what you said. On the 18th hole the other day, you had 200 and some odd yards, and you said, what's the lowest score I can make from this point? And you hit a shorter club, pitched on the green, and made par, but you were not going to make worse than bogey. The situation I was in is I'm in the middle of, I'm in full flight. I'm, I'm hitting it well. I'm thinking well. And I know from being in qualifiers, really, I just have to get to the last couple of holes Without a disaster, you know, I know this from experience, and I'm going to qualify. The problem is, when I got to the lie on my second shot, which is 190 yards from the green, so not impossible for me, the ball was way above my feet. Not T-ball height, but a, a, a lie that was just not great in the rough. And rather than look at that shot and go, as I said to my coach, I said after, I said, you know, If the ball had been under a lip, in a tree, in a hazard, I would have been better off because I would have immediately played it safe. I would have chipped out, hit up something near the green, and the worst I was going to make was bogey or double. But for some reason, I was momentarily unconscious. I tried to hit too long a club, almost missed it, dribbled, dribbled down into a hazard. The green has a false front. My fifth shot kind of went all day. It was a lot of chaos. Mm. And I made a nine. But I will tell you, I had three holes to go after that. And I finished par, par, par. Mm. And I tell you that because an earlier version of myself, and like a lot of us, would have immediately thought, okay, I've made a nine. There goes the day. I've got no chance of qualifying. And I'm just going to just be a shithead for the next 45 minutes to finish this golf tournament. Yeah. But I got up in the next team. I thought, okay. And make it known to the guys. Oh, that exactly. Playing. Let them know that I'm pissed off. I'm going to make them miserable. And mm-hmm. how dare golf treat me this way? Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, can tell good- you, I can tell you from if you had the guy I was playing with, who's a very, very good golfer. You wouldn't have known if I made a nine or a two on that hole. Well, kudos to you, man. 
So I get up on the next hole. It's a par three. And I'm still rattled. I'm not kidding you. I, I know I'd... In fact, it was so weird because, you know, we're, we're, our third member didn't show up. So it's just the two of us. And he's a very good golfer. And all day long, we sort of been joking like... You know, we both make par. It's easy to score that one. And I said to him, you know, we'd make four or five pars in a row. I go, this is easy. We're all, it's easy to score for one another. But after that hole, he kind of looked at me and went, nine? I went, yep. So we tee off on the next hole, and I'm still rattled. And it's a par three, and I don't make a very good swing. But I don't make a horrible swing, and I hit the green. But I'm 50 feet from the flag. And I'm just trying to gather myself, and I put it up there seven feet past. Now, it would be easy for me at that point to go, it doesn't matter, I'm already out of this tournament. But I took my time on that putt, and I sank it. And he said to me, good on you. And I know what he yeah. meant. Totally. He meant good for you to keep trying. and Because yeah. I, I thought I could birdie the last two holes, and if I had, I would have qualified. Because I ended up shooting 83 with a 9, and it was a tough day. The lowest score was 77, and 81 would have got in. If I had triple bogeyed the hole, I would have qualified. If I double bogeyed the hole, I would have been in fourth place. The moral of the story, though, is, for me, and is that... As I was driving home, because up is up at Tangle Creek up near you and Barry there. Yeah, yeah. Where two weeks before I played the golf course for the first time and shot 71. But that's different. On my way home, I thought to myself, man, I had such a great day today. I got to go to a golf course. I got to warm up. I did my stretching. I did my routine. I had my nutrition. I worked. Mm-hmm. I played well. I hit the ball nicely. I'm not going to let that nine be the only thing I think about from this day because life's too short, man. And mm-hmm. and as I was explaining it to my guys, I said, I had a blast. I really did. Yeah, it stung. And for a couple of days, I thought, you know, I could have done a lot of different things. Yeah. But I got sucked in by golf, as sometimes we do. Like I said, if I'd have been in the trees, it would have been an automatic pitch out. Yeah. But what happened was in that moment, I just became unconscious. Yeah. But I... I was still conscious of I have to be a nor I, I I didn't throw the club I didn't smash my putter I didn't throw the ball away even yeah and when well, I walked I didn't, you, you didn't you didn't send those negative vibes to your playing partner and that's uh, that's I think really important really important I, I do too because I've been that guy yeah I've been the guy that sends <laughs> negative you know, vibes out after a nine. But I, you know, I have a very good friend who uh, we played this big tournament the weekend before and he's a plus three and he made an 11 on a par five. Mm. And he was one of the first people to call me because he was like, hey, that was pretty good. You shot 83 with a nine. I said, yeah, you shot 80 with an 11. You're just a little better than me. (laughs) You know what I mean? But the fact is, there's another tournament I'm playing on Monday, and there'll be another tournament the following yeah. week. Yeah. And golf's hard, and sometimes shit happens. Yeah, yeah. I watched Bubba Watson take a 10 on number 12 at Augusta the year after he won the tournament. Tiger Woods made a 10 uh, at Augusta the year before he won the tournament, or I can't remember the next year, I think. Whenever it was, he made a 10. He birdied five of the last six holes. Yeah. No, I think emotional resilience is, is, is so, I mean, look, I can't speak to what's required at the pro level. I, I, I have no idea. But, but at, at, at our level, at our recreational guys who like to play tournaments, emotional resilience, man, that's the, uh, that's the key. Well, I appreciate you listening. And uh, thanks to Samantha Adams from NeuroPeak Pro. Uh, they're all about precision breathing, as you heard today. Uh, this app is amazing. Help to does it's designed to unlock peak performance through better, more intentional breathing. Uh, you're going to love that when you listen back. Kent Osborne at Scratch Attitude. Thanks again to TaylorMade, our title sponsor for 199 podcasts. Man, there's so much TaylorMade. The uh, the new golf balls are out, and of course, everyone's talking about the carbon wood for better energy transfer and more ball speed. To learn more about it. Almost every time I play, including yesterday, someone said, Let me see, can I see the driver? Can I try it? To learn more about the TaylorMade uh, products, visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca 
And uh, don't forget about Jonathan Wong. Uh, some of the apparel you're, you're seeing with us, uh, certainly around the golf course and on these podcasts. JWApparelInc.com is where you find out more about some of the lines he reps that are just stylish. And, uh, you know, and they're not crazy expensive. So go check it out at JWApparelInc.com. Coach Tim, go to uh, O'ConnorGolf.ca. And, of course, uh, a lot of the time you can find me at Humble Fred Radio, the Humble and Fred Show. And, uh, Kent, I uh, wish you well. Hope everything's going good for you. So if I had been on the 200 podcast, would I have gotten some kind of a prize? Or- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get a copy of your own book. <laughs> hey, uh, hang around a second here. I want to chat you up when we're done recording. Thanks again to everyone. STDs, we'll see you next time for episode 200. Get a shiver in the dark, it's raining in the park, but meantime Sound of the river, you're stopping your whole